0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. I thought it would be appropriate uh, for us to look at this particular passage uh, since we have the uh, Lord's Supper today. We're going to hear a bit about uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb that the Lord's Supper points to. And, uh, and as well, we'll be in the coming weeks looking. We're, we're actually at chapter 11 in, the, in our study and uh, that's the, the Lord's Prayer. So we'll be diving into the Lord's Prayer. I noticed that I forgot to say it this morning, but we'll have opportunity in the next few weeks we'll say it again, so I apologize for that. But, uh, but we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer in coming weeks. But today we're going to be looking at one of these parables that Jesus tells in Luke 14:15 through 24 where God's holy inspired and inerrant word says... When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, "'I've bought a field, and I, I must go and see it. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I've bought five yoke of oxen, "'and I go to examine them. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come.' "'So the servant came and reported these things to his master. "'Then the master of the house became angry "'and said to his servant, "'Go out quickly.' the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, RSVP is an initialism derived from the French phrase, répondez, s'il vous plaît. If you know French, don't criticize me. That's as good as I can do. And it means, of course, please respond. Simply please respond. I guess it's fancier to have those letters RSVP than to just say on your invitation, please respond. Of course, we just want someone to respond to our invitation and tell us whether they're coming or not. That's what an RSVP is for. Of course, we've just celebrated a couple of weddings here in our church family, and it has been reiterated to me how important it is for people to respond to the invitation and then to show up at the event. Both are very important. Of course, the the RSVP allows the those who are planning the event or the meal or whatever it might be uh, allows those, the planners to make appropriate preparations you need to know how many people are coming so you'll have enough food for the feast for example and on the other hand it's also important for those who have promised to be there to actually show up since preparations have been made and, and money has been spent on those preparations and if no one shows up then it's wasted Well, the the parable before us today, of course, runs along these lines, a feast and invitations that have been made and excuses being made, sadly. But these verses that we're looking at this morning are part of a larger discourse that begins at verse 1 of chapter 14. If you'll look there, as Jesus dines at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, He uses the opportunity in his surroundings and what's going on at this meal to teach using that metaphor of a feast or a banquet. Now, if you glance at his teaching here throughout the first 14 verses, uh, it would probably have created an uncomfortable atmosphere. First, because Jesus heals a man there, and it's the Sabbath day. And, of course, the Pharisees were always critical of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. And he did that, and he kind of challenged them to think about that, why he would do that. Then, in the second part, he calls them out for seeking out the seats of honor at the banquet. Everybody was kind of jockeying to be near the head of the table. And he says, you know, you should sit at the lower end of the table until someone tells you, hey, you're too good to be down here at the foot of the table. Let's move you on up. Then he tells them that they should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, all these people would have been considered low on the spiritual totem pole to the Pharisees because those people's lives were seemingly not blessed by God because of their difficult circumstances. The Pharisees would certainly not want these types of people at their table. Now undoubtedly, things were a bit awkward at this dinner party with what Jesus was saying. It was an awkward feast. And perhaps to break the tension, one of the guests just pipes up and says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. And this prompts Jesus to relate the parable of the great feast we are contemplating here this morning. Now what the man says is perfectly true, without a doubt. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus does not dispute what he is saying here. What this man said was a plain and acknowledged truth. The Old Testament often uses banquet metaphors to tell of the blessings that will come when the Messiah arrives. Throughout the Old Testament, God promised, God reminded Israel of a coming Savior who will right every wrong done to Israel and reestablish the people in the land. These blessings will even include the Gentiles. It goes beyond the borders of Israel to the nations, to the Gentiles. These promises of blessings in a coming age are often couched in terms of a great banquet, a great feast. For example, and I love this this particular passage, Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 8, where it says... On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I love to have a feast. Uh, I love to sit around and and eat with friends and celebrate. And that's what the picture is here in Isaiah 25, a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. And he goes on, "'And he will swallow up on this mountain "'the covering that is cast over all peoples, "'the veil that is spread over all nations. "'He will swallow up death forever.'" And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Swallowing up death forever, wiping away tears from every face, and all reproach being taken away, completely vindicated. That's the picture the Old Testament has of this great day when the Messiah comes and ushers in his kingdom. Now, the New Testament links imagery of a banquet to Jesus Christ, of course. In the Gospels, repeatedly, Jesus compares the future kingdom to a great wedding banquet to which the bridegroom arrives and everyone feasts. Revelation 3.20 those interesting words of Jesus to the, to the lukewarm church of Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, Here's a promise that you can have table fellowship with me, that you can have a relationship with me and we can feast together know one another intimately and be friends and then of course revelation 19 our call to worship this morning talks about the great marriage feast where it says i heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See how similar that is to what the man at the feast said. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So the New Testament represents the wedding feast of Christ and his bride, the church, as the fulfillment of the messianic banquet promised in the Old Testament. Revelation 21 talks about the new heavens and new earth in the same way that Isaiah 25 speaks. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There's an intimate relationship, that fellowship with God that we experience in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Remember Isaiah 25? And death shall be no more again. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he goes on and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's a wonderful heritage that he promises to his people. Matthew Henry says, the happiness of heaven, the happiness of the new heavens and the new earth is an everlasting feast. Blessed, uh, blessed is everyone who eats that feast. Blessed are they that shall sit down at that table whence they shall rise no more. You know, it's good for us to eat in moderation unless we get overweight and out of shape. But at this feast, we never have to get up. We can keep on feasting with the Lord forever. Won't that be wonderful? Indeed, the man was correct who spoke up at that feast in Jesus' day and said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful image. And Christ joins with the man in what he said. It is very true. Blessed are they that shall... Partake of the privileges of the Messiah's kingdoms, of the Messiah's kingdom. But, he says, you'll notice there's a but there after he says that. But who are they that shall enjoy that privilege? Who are they that shall enjoy that privilege? And that's what the parable is asking. It's what it's asking in in Jesus' day, and it's what it's asking us today. This is the point that Jesus is making. Well, let's look at the parable briefly. Uh, We see here that there was a, a, a man who prepared a great banquet. The blessings of the kingdom of God are being made available. God is preparing this banquet. And verse 16 not only does it say he's making a banquet, preparing a banquet, but he's inviting many guests. He's giving a personal invitation to us to join in this banquet. The people had no qualifications to meet. Uh, They didn't have an obligation to bring anything. You know, we often get invited to dinner parties and we say, well, what can we bring? Well, this one, everything was prepared, everything's ready. It's all been done. And that's true of what the Lord has done. He's done everything. He's done everything for us to participate in this banquet for us to be part of this everlasting feast. We don't have to meet any qualifications other than to say yes, to answer the invitation for eternal life and eternal joy with the Lord. So he sends the invitation and then he gives a particular memo to the invited guests. And there's the, first of all, yes, you're invited to this feast. Then he says, everything is ready. He's done all the work. He's prepared everything. So come on and join. And, of course, this is a picture of God's wide mercy. He allows us to come and sit at the table with him, to have fellowship with him, a relationship with him, to break bread together with him. Of course, that will be perfectly realized in the new heavens and new earth. But Jesus is saying this to Pharisees in that dinner party so that they will recognize that the Messiah was sitting with them right now. And they had been invited. They were the religious people, but they were rejecting Jesus. They were turning away from Jesus, and that's why he's telling this story. The first people who were invited, particularly the Jews, they largely rejected Jesus. And it was the poor, the blind, the crippled that were then invited, and then out into the hedges, into the byways, into the places where your sophisticated and religious and uh, proper people don't live. In other words, the Gentiles, the, the outcasts, they were invited in. The people who had first initially been invited were not joining in the feast, were not coming to Jesus and, and not having fellowship with him. It tells us there in verse 1 of chapter 14, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. They wanted to, to catch him in something so that they could have, be justified in their rejection of him. They weren't coming in faith. They weren't recognizing Jesus as the one promised in the Old Testament. They were rejecting him. So we see here God's wide mercy. He's done all the work. He's sent out invitations to not just the religious, but to to everybody. Everybody has been invited, and still there is room, he says. It's a great feast. It's eternal blessedness, and he invites people like you and me, to take part in that great feast. He's made all the preparations for us. He's fulfilled all that we lack. We lack righteousness to come to this feast. We lack the clothes, the the nice clothes to wear. He clothes us in his own righteousness. And he pays all of our debts. He forgives our sins and cleanses us. All things are ready. Describes the glorious freedom of salvation. But look at the responses of the invited guests. There's three mentioned here. Two of them are purchases. Verse 18, one one buys a field. i got to go out and see my new field. Oh, is the field going anywhere? No. Is that very important? It doesn't seem to be. He can look at it tomorrow or another day. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them, wants to try them out. Well, is that really that important? Will the oxen be any less ready to do their job in a day or two or maybe a week if the feast lasts a long time? Please have me excused, they say. Now, these are lawful things. It's not wrong to own a field or or a team of oxen and it's uh, maybe even a necessary thing for their lives but they're minor things they're not urgent things it's just an excuse now you might give a little uh, leeway to the guy who just got married you might say hey you that's pretty important marriage verse 20 i've married a wife and therefore i cannot come but then you think about it why why can't you come why can't you bring your wife Why can't she join in on the feast as well? Seems like a great opportunity to take your wife out on a date. (laughs) So again, it's an excuse. And that begs the question for us, what things are we putting before having a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Now, as we saw last week with Martha and Mary, you know, even though Martha and Mary were both devoted followers of Jesus, Martha allowed her desire to serve to get in the way with her fellowship with the Lord. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, soaking in his his presence, and Martha was troubled about all the preparations now we we have life events, we have things that we pursue in life like these. Farmers and this married person here in the passage, you know, life and things can certainly get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. We can live our lives, and we can go to church, and we can pay a tithe, and we can uh, go to all the events that the church has, and we can even serve others, and still not have fellowship with Jesus not have a real relationship with Jesus just like Martha in that one particular instance that we looked at last week we can sacrifice by being religious what really Jesus died for and that is that we might have a relationship with him that we might that he might come in and sit down at table and eat with us And us with him do you enjoy that kind of relationship because that's what the new heavens and new earth is going to consist of it's going to be a great feast where we fellowship with God and his people and if you don't really enjoy fellowship with God and his people now you know heaven's going to be really boring for you because that's what it's going to be all about it's not sitting on a cloud playing a harp or doing just whatever you want to do, but it is that we can know God. This is eternal life. I read it last week, John 17, This that, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom we sent. That is eternal life, knowing him. And that word know just doesn't mean knowing about him. That means an intimacy, an intimacy. See, I know in my own life that... We can be all about doing church, but not really walk closely with the Lord and fellowship with Him and really know Him and, and walk in His paths and be in His presence continuously. We can forget God as we are wrapped up in life and stuff, the things that, that come at us, the tyranny of the urgent, as one, one author put it. But what's more important than the Lord? Nothing. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus said. Well, God's not happy with it, according to this. If you look at verse 21, the initial people who were invited made their excuses, and then the master of the house became angry. This week, we Sarah and I had a, a free vacation uh, to the to Arizona, uh, and the the cost of our accommodations was to listen to a timeshare presentation. And some of you have done this. And they initially said, "Oh, we're low. This is we're not going to put any pressure on you at all." They lied. Three hours. We stood strong. We said no. But it was a continual battle to give a reason why you wouldn't do it. I was giving reasons to these people, and I felt good about my reasons. I had great reasons to say no. I didn't didn't need to make excuses. An excuse is something you say when you're refusing to do something that is good for you. These people were making excuses. They weren't giving reasons. You see, there's a difference there. And they use the word here, excuse. Sarah tells me, you know, you're putting on a few pounds here and there, you know, since we lost all of our weight here over the past six months or so. And I tell her, no, you know, I forgot to take my blood pressure pill today and I'm a little bloated, things like that. It was really the cheeseburger I ate. Uh, or, you know, I'm going to go start exercising. Or, you know, we make excuses. I'm refusing to do something that's good for me. So I make excuses. Now, if you have a reason for rejecting Christ, I don't know what that would be, but if you say, here's a good, rational reason that I'm not ready to say yes to this invitation, I can respect that. I, I don't respect people who just write it off and don't consider it at all. At least wrestle with the truth of what Jesus said. Some people who reject Christ have never even looked at the scriptures. They reject you know, what they've heard or what the crowd is doing. It's really an excuse. It's not a good reason. There's never a good reason. So what are our excuses? The master of the house became angry and he goes and invites even more and more people. He's so ready to invite us in, anyone in, to his feast. And those who make excuses, verse 24 tells us, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. And that will be a sad day. Luke, actually, if you want to back up to chapter 13, verse 28 and 29, look what it says there. It says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Will you be one of those people? And are you enjoying the benefits of that now? That's the question. Jesus is saying, come for everything is ready. He's done all the work. And the table that we come to this morning points us to that. It's a great feast. It's an invitation for us to fellowship with Christ and his people. And it's a little foretaste. We don't enjoy the, the fullness of that communion here on earth, but this is a little foretaste, a little reminder that that's what's in store for us. We look forward to that day when we will sit at Jesus' feet. And now he's instituted this supper for us so that we can have a little taste of that and be refreshed upon the way as we travel to that great banquet that is stored for, stored up for his people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, we know there are places in the world where they don't have that kind of freedom. We thank you, Lord, that you encourage us, wake us up from our love affair with the things of this world, and help us, Lord, to know, to learn what it is to love you and to commune with you on a daily basis and to walk with you, to walk in the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. Lord, we pray that we would know, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.